Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Good to see so many of you here today. Appreciate you coming out. Appreciate those of you watching at home. Last week, I imagine all the folks at home were uh, cuddled up in their uh, 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 pajamas and slippers in front of the fireplace, keeping warm. And this week, I just imagine they're all sitting out on their decks in their lawn chairs, uh, just so excited about the warm weather. But uh, whatever you're doing, we're glad you're here watching with us or in person. Thank you for coming out. We're continuing our Refreshing Relationship series, and today we're talking about helping our kids hold on to faith. Uh, how do we help our kids hold on to faith in a world that is becoming increasingly hostile uh, to the things of God? Uh, in a world where the lines of biblical truth are blurred and where morality is being defined apart uh, from God's word. You know, the Bible stresses the importance of standing firm in the faith. In Isaiah 7, 9, it says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. That's how important your faith is. So how do you stand firm in your faith in difficult circumstances? What is it that you need to build into your faith, build into your kid's faith, so that you'll be able to stand the tests of faith uh, that are coming and actually that are already upon us? And so I want to give you four ways today that you can build uh, your kids uh, a faith that will stand. And so on your outline, uh, on the notes, first we need to get clear on what it means to be a Christian. Get clear on what it means to be a Christian. Uh, Jesus said, come, follow me. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in a world that is secularized? You know, it's hard to hold on to something uh, that isn't clear. Uh, have you ever tried to move a piece of furniture that didn't have any clear edges on it? I mean, you know, you're just hard to get a grip, hard to hold on to it. Uh, if, if it's not clearly defined. And undefined beliefs are almost impossible to hold on to. Without a clear understanding of what it means to be a Christian, it's hard to hold on to your faith in the midst of adversity. And if you're a student who, who's getting teased or bullied or mocked for your faith, if you don't have a clear understanding of what it is you're standing for and why you are standing for it, it becomes hard to hold on to your faith. And so our kids, actually as parents, as adults ourselves, we need to have a clearly defined meaning of what does it mean to be a Christian. That way we can defend it, we can stand for it, we can contend for the faith. So what does it mean to be a Christian? I love this definition. A Christian is someone who has decided to follow Jesus in every area of their life for all their life. A Christian is someone who has decided to follow Jesus in every area of their life for all their life. We need a clear definition. You know, Christianity, first and foremost, it's a choice. It's a decision to follow Jesus. It's in response to the invitation that Jesus extends to everybody. Jesus invites everybody, come and follow me. And it's an invitation for which you must make a choice, an invitation that requires an RSVP. You've got to respond. You either respond, yes, Jesus, I will follow you, or no, I'm not going to follow you. 
But a wishy-washy answer to that won't, won't work. You know, following Christ means that we're called to be different. We're called to be set apart to live differently than the world. Romans 12.2 just says bluntly, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Believers are to live differently than the world. Now, there's a tension that occurs. When, when you as a believer copy the behaviors and customs of this world, when you try to fit in and look and act and talk like the world, if you call yourself a believer but act like an unbeliever, it creates confusion for everybody. It confuses the non-believers and it confuses the Christians and it confuses you. When you say, I'm a follower of Jesus and then your life doesn't look like it. Jesus had harsh words, strong words for this kind of wishy-washy faith in, uh, in Revelation uh, 3, 15 through 16. He says, I know your deeds. He can see what, what your deeds are, that you are neither hot, cold, nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That sounds like a harsh statement. I thought Jesus was all about love. Well, it's out of love that he says this. It's out of a love for the lost, out of love for the person who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Because when someone calls themselves a follower of Christ but doesn't live like it, it confuses everybody. When your Instagram, your bumper stickers, your t-shirt say one thing, but your lifestyle says something else, we do damage to the gospel. When we advertise ourselves as Christians, but the things we say and do don't match up. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We're Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador is an official representation, uh, representative to a foreign country. An ambassador takes their country with them wherever they go. When they step on foreign soil, they represent their country. And you and I are Christ's ambassadors. Wherever we go, we represent the kingdom of God. At school, at work, at the grocery store, at a restaurant, on social media, we represent Christ with our very presence. So what do people see when they see you? What do they see? Do they see salt and light and a clear representation of Jesus Christ? Or is what they see blurry, muddy, uh, confusing. So in these defining conversations with our kids, we tell them that to be a Christian is a choice. It, it's a decision. And it's a decision that comes at a cost. There is a cost for following Jesus Christ. And in a world that's getting more and more hostile to Christianity, the cost becomes greater and greater greater and greater. You can lose friends over it. You can be made fun uh, over it. You can expect opposition over it. You can lose a job over it. Living for Jesus can be hard at times. In John 15, Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. 
Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not of this world. Your citizenship has changed. You know, when you, when you were born physically, you were born into this world. If you were born in America, you were born an American citizen. But when you were born again spiritually, when you made the decision to become a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ, you got a new citizenship. You got a new citizenship. You're now a citizen of the kingdom of God. You're a citizen of heaven, not earth. Jesus says, you're not of this world, but I have chosen you out of this world. It's a choice to follow Jesus, and there's a cost that comes with that choice. There are also tremendous rewards, tremendous rewards, both here and in heaven. And as parents, you need to teach your kids both the cost and the reward of following Jesus. Because sometimes all kids can see are the costs. But they also need to understand that the rewards are worth the cost. So get a clear understanding. What does it mean to follow uh, Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? Number two, uh, we need to join the spiritual battle for the faith. We need to join the spiritual battle for the faith. As, as followers of Christ, we need to be aware we're, we're in a battle. Uh, we're involved in, in a spiritual war, a, a war for our souls and our hearts, for the souls and hearts of our kids. One day the battle will be over, but it's not over today. In fact, for the church in America, the battle is heating up. And the battle that we're in, it, it's not a battle against people. You need to understand this. We are not fighting people. We are fighting spiritual forces that are unseen. Uh, Ephesians 6, on, on your outline, on the screen. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Our battle is a spiritual battle that affects every area of the natural world. It's a supernatural battle that spills over into our daily lives, whether we realize it or not. And so the conversations, the encounters that we have with people, the things that happen in our schools and workplace, the, the decisions that are made by local and state and federal government, that there are forces for good and forces for evil behind all of that. And it's a battle for your mind, your heart, your soul, and for your kids. And there is just so much, so much noise, so much din, so many voices of fighting for your attention, fighting for your heart. But there's only one voice that matters, and that's the voice of God. That's the voice of God. Now, is there a cost to listening to God's voice? You bet there is. You bet there is. It might cost you your popularity or a promotion or invitations to parties. Uh, it might cost you a job. It might cost you even more than that in the future. But with the cost, there is also a reward. There's a blessing. In Matthew 5.11, Jesus says, blessed, circle that word, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. So rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Following Jesus can be hard. Going against the culture, standing for what is right is hard. That's why the Bible calls it a battle. But you're not going through it alone. 
Philippians 1.29 says, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. When's the last time you counted suffering as a privilege? But we have the privilege of trusting in Christ, and we have the privilege of suffering for him. We are in the struggle together. We're not going through this alone. There are millions of followers of Jesus Christ who've gone before you. They have stood for him. They counted it a privilege to suffer in his name all throughout history. And they were opposed and mocked and beaten and imprisoned. They were hated for their faith, but they did not waver. They stood against the tide, and it's still happening today. The Vatican says there are 100,000 followers of Jesus that are martyred every year. 100,000 believers dying for their faith. That's a believer dying every five minutes for their faith. Every five minutes, someone is asked, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And they say, yes, I do. And it costs them their life. People have been taking a stand for their faith since Jesus rose from the grave. The first martyr was Stephen. We find his story in Acts chapter 7. And Stephen was preaching about Jesus and, and, and he was telling them that Jesus came, he died, how much he loves everyone, that he rose from the dead on the third day. And, and the people that he was telling that to were so angry as he shared the gospel that they rushed him, grabbed him, they dragged him out of the city and they crushed the life out of him with large stones. And the Bible tells us that as Stephen was dying, he was so filled with the Holy Spirit that he looked up and the heavens opened up and he saw Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And there's significance in that because in the Bible when it talks about Christ in heaven, it always, every other time, it talks about him being seated at the right hand of the Father. And yet we find when Stephen was martyred, when, when Stephen was taking a stand for Jesus Christ with that crowd... Jesus Christ stood in honor of Stephen's sacrifice. He stood for him. And you need to know when you're standing for Jesus that Jesus Christ is going to stand for you. The history of Christianity is full of ordinary people empowered by the Holy Spirit overcoming incredible odds and standing for Christ. There's no stopping the church. You might hear people say, you know, oh, the church is dying today. But there are 2.3 billion followers of Jesus Christ on earth. There's no slowing down in the growth and spread of the church. The church is growing and going to places like it's never has before. And I believe that the decline that we do see in the North American and European church, personally, I believe it's a pruning season for the church. I believe the Western church has been so blessed and we have gotten so... Uh, flabby, lazy, complacent, that God is pruning the Western church, even as he is expanding the church in Asia, Africa, and South America. And the question is, are you, are your kids going to withstand the pruning? And this isn't a time, this isn't a time for bravado and braggadocia. This isn't a time like Peter to say, Lord, I'll never deny you. And then, like Peter, we go out and deny him three times. No, th this is a time for serious, heartfelt reflection, for sobriety, for humility, for counting the cost, for evaluating the spiritual risks and rewards, and making a decision. Am I going to stand for Christ when it costs me something? 
Are my kids going to learn to stand for Christ when it costs them something? But we've got to get this. The church wins in the end. The Bible tells us that the suffering that we experience here is temporary. And you may never be called to die for, for your faith in Jesus Christ, but you're called to live for him every day. And you're called to live for him in a wicked and perverse generation. But remember, the church wins in the end. And remember, we're not in this struggle alone. We're in it together. It's an honor to be included in the millions that have gone before us, the generations of people who have stood for Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that they are cheering you on from heaven. In Hebrews 12.1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. All the millions of believers and martyrs that have gone before us, they're cheering you on. They're calling out your name, and they're saying, you can do it. You can make it. Don't give up on your marriage. You can make it. Don't give up on your kids. You can make it. Don't give up standing for Jesus Christ. I know it's tough right now, but keep going. Don't give up because we win in the end. And they are roaring and cheering for you as you run this race, and Jesus Christ is in the midst of all the witnesses standing for you, cheering you on, and he is proud of you. He cannot wait until you cross that finish line and can be with him. So get in the fight. Join the spiritual battle for our faith. Now, if you're going to join the spiritual battle, you've got to get trained. You've got to get trained. Any good military understands the value of training. Uh, you know, you know, most soldiers train far longer than they ever fight. They will train for weeks, months, years, and fight for moments. But we understand the value of training, and we understand the detriment of sending out untrained soldiers. And yet that's often exactly what we do with our kids. We send our kids out unprepared for the influences in the world. You know, as secular Western culture continues its downward spiral, our, our kids need stronger preparation in order to respond to that. And our kids can feel unprepared. As parents, we feel unprepared. But as parents, you've got to understand that you are your child's primary spiritual trainer. God did not intend for you to outsource this aspect of your parenting. And as a parent, I know, I, I would love to just, you know, send my kids to church, put them in youth group, kids small group, and hope that, you know, we've covered all the spiritual bases. And I'll tell you, as a church, we're doing the best we can. And we've got programs in place, and we are working hard to help you and to help your kids. But frankly, it's just not adequate for the climate that we live in today. It wasn't adequate 50 years ago. You know, the church just doesn't have your kids long enough. No matter how good our training is, it, it's just not enough. But as parents, God designed you to be your child's spiritual leader and trainer. In fact, the cool thing is you can learn along with them. And so I'm going to give you some key areas where you can get trained and you can train your kids. You can take, parents, you can do this. You can take control of your kids' spiritual training and education. And the first area of training is to read through the Bible. 
to just read through the Bible. Read, have you ever read through, read every word of it? Even the hard to understand parts, even the boring parts. Have you just, as an act of, of worship and surrender to God, said, I'm going to read every word of the Bible and just read your way through it, slog through it, every word. You know, it's important to introduce your kids to the full counsel of Scripture, not just the comforting snippets uh, that make us feel good. You know, don't, don't edit the Bible. Don't edit Scripture. Don't censor God. Uh, don't censor Scripture. Embrace all of it. Embrace it. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, look at this. It says, all Scripture, circle those two words, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You want to be thoroughly equipped to live in this life, to fight in this spiritual battle. You can't just pick and choose the parts of Scripture that you want to uh, believe and obey. You need to expose yourself, expose your kids to the whole counsel of God. Now, how do you do that? I, I would encourage you to invest, and it'll cost you, but I'd encourage you to invest in a good study Bible. You know, a study Bible has more than just the Bible verses in it. It's got an introduction to each book. It has background and historical information in it. It has cross-references that will take you from one verse in this book to another verse in another book. It has definition as words. It has footnotes. It has maps. It even has an appendix. Okay? So get a good, a good study Bible. And I'd recommend the NIV study Bible or uh, the one I, I use is the Ryrie Study Bible. You can get a Ryrie Study Bible in a number of different translations. But get a study Bible and wade into it. Yes, you're going to get in over your head, <laughs> but you won't drown. So get in there. It's better than standing on the shore or just sticking your toe in. Just wade into it and, and, and read the whole Bible. And next, you want to get trained on the core teachings of the Bible. So you want to read the whole Bible so you're exposed to the, the big picture of it. And then you, then you take a deep dive and you learn the core teachings. Uh, today, people are attacking and trashing the teachings of the Bible rather than revering and obeying them. And the Apostle Paul warned about this, 2 Timothy 4. He says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And so we've got to get clear on our core beliefs. We need to teach our kids the core teachings uh, of the faith. And I found a, a great resource for that for me has been a book called A Survey of Bible Doctrine. And it's by Charles Ryrie, the same guy who wrote the Ryrie Study Bible. And uh, it, it's only 200 pages long. You can get it for a paperback book. There are lots of them available in used bookstores because this thing's been used as textbooks in colleges and seminaries for decades. And so it won't cost you much, uh, but it's only 200 pages long, including the appendix. Okay? But Charles Ryrie, he can say more in 50 words than most guys can say in 500 I mean, I just love how clear and concise uh, he is. And there's a chapter on God, uh, on the Bible, on Jesus, on the Holy Spirit, a chapter on angels. I mean, how much do you know about angels? You know, there's a chapter on humans, on salvation, on the church, a chapter on the future, the end times, heaven and hell. 
You know, it's, it's stuff you need to know. It's stuff that you can teach your kids so that your faith can stand up to what's coming. Uh, another area to get trained in is the area of apologetics. Uh, apologetics is a big word that means the ability to answer people's questions about Christianity. Uh, if, 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 you can, if you understand apologetics, you can give an answer to defend your faith. Uh, 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You know, we, we don't have to wade into this and, and be uh, cantankerous and, and, and uh, you know, contentious. Uh, no, you just, you just can have an answer and you can do it with gentleness and respect. Now, I tell you, when, when I see this, always be prepared to give an answer. For me, that, that can be extremely intimidating because I don't have an answer for every question. You know, people can ask very hard questions. Kids can ask really hard questions about God and, and, and faith and life. Remember the kid who asked, why don't we have hair on our tongues? I still don't have an answer for that one, okay? I, I don't know. But, but I, I've discovered that the Bible really does have answers to our questions. Uh, but sometimes you just have to dig to find it. And fortunately, in our day, we've got these tremendous resources at our disposal. And so I want to just give you a few. First, th there are two books that I'd, I'd rec recommend. Every believer ought to read these books. They are The Case for Faith and The Case for Christ uh, by Lee Strobel. And Lee Strobel was an atheist. And he was an investigative reporter for one of the Chicago newspapers. And his wife became a believer, and it made him so upset that he decided to put his investigative skills to work to prove to her that Christ and the resurrection and the Bible was all a fraud. And so he started doing his investigative reporter thing, investigating Christ, the resurrection, and the Bible. And what he discovered was, it's all true. It's all true. And he gave his heart uh, to Christ. And both of these books just have fascinating information in them about how to answer the difficult questions about why we believe and what we believe. Uh, there's a great resource uh, on a website. If you've got questions about creation and Noah's Ark and, and evolution and science-related issues, uh, AnswersInGenesis.org. Uh, you know, the Answers in Genesis, these are the guys who've built the Creation Museum and the Ark Experience uh, outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. Have any of you been, been to the Ark and the Creation Museum? Anybody? Yeah. Was it worth your trip? Yeah. It's just amazing. And uh, I'd encourage you, if we ever get to do vacations again, take your family out there and, uh, and go through the Creation Museum and the Ark Experience. And, and what you'll realize, and, and, and use this website, what you'll realize is it's not goofy to believe in this stuff. That There are reasonable, rational, scientific explanations for creation and for the flood. And, and uh, there are answers in Genesis. And then another website is gotquestions.org gotquestions.org. These guys have answered over 642,000 questions about the Bible. And you can go to their, their website. They've got a great search engine. Type in your question, and, uh, and chances are they've probably answered it. 
And then one of my favorite sites is called ourdailybread.org. Our Daily Bread, or you can go just go to odb.org. And these are the folks that write the daily devotional booklets that we give you, the little booklets that we have out in the entryway. And, and, uh, uh, but they also, on their website, they have what they call their Discovery Series booklets. And these are they're small, downloadable booklets that cover a wide range of topics. They cover uh, the Bible books, they cover Bible characters, doctrinal issues. Where they're really great is on current issues. Things like suicide and depression and, and uh, spouse abuse, you know, those kind of issues. And they examine them from a biblical viewpoint. Christianity is referred to as a faith tradition. But it's also a knowledge tradition. It, it is a thinking faith. And you just need to teach yourself, teach your kids to ask good questions. Because very, very few people have actually done the work to think through what they believe. And one of our most powerful tools as followers of Jesus is to ask good questions. God can stand up to your questions. The Bible can stand up uh, to your questions. Don't be afraid to look for answers together with your kids. You'll both learn something. 2 Timothy 2 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Don't, don't spend your Christian life ashamed for what you don't know about the Bible. Just take the time and the energy and discover, learn about it, so that you can be one who correctly handles the word of truth. We, we've been given a great resource, a great treasure. Don't neglect it and don't mishandle it. Instead, dig in there and learn it and then teach it to your kids. Finally, if we're going to help our kids hold on to faith, we must pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. This, it's a spiritual battle, and it is fought and won with spiritual weapons. So you've got to arm and equip yourself with the Word of God, and then you've got to pray Scripture over your kids every day. I want to close with this verse. Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7 says, These commandments that I've given you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, if you're going to impress these things on the hearts of your kids, it, you just got to make discussions about the Bible and spiritual truth a part of your life. It just becomes a part of who you are as a believer. It becomes part of your relationship with your kids and your family. That we're going to talk about spiritual things. That we're going to read the Bible. That we're going to study the Bible. And we're going to follow and obey it in every area of our life for all our life. Let's pray together. God, first I want to, I want to pray for the adults. Uh, specifically for the parents in the room, those of you who are just feeling pressed and squeezed at every side as you try to raise young Christ followers. Father, we recognize we cannot do this without you. We need your power, your presence, your spirit. We need your insight, knowledge, discernment. God, we need your wisdom. And we're busy people, and so we need you to help us to corral our calendars so we can prioritize getting trained. We want to follow you and we want our children to follow you, ardent followers of Christ in the 21st century. 
And God, I thank you for our kids. Just what a blessing they are. And I pray that you would raise up a generation who would love you, who would know you, and who would follow hard after you. God, make them strong. Make them bold. May they be filled with the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. God, would they, would they put our generation to shame for their zeal for Christ? And that they would become a generation that cannot be silenced. Protect our kids, deliver them from the evil one. God, make them steadfast in their faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.